You are listening to the new Mutual Audio Network. Welcome home. The following audio drama is rated G for general audiences. The following audio drama is a production of 63 Audio and the Narada Radio Company, a proud member of the all-new Mutual Audio Network. Taken from the pages of magazines your grandfather used to hide from your grandmother, this is Pulpery Theater, starring the Narada Radio Company. a tale of wartime romance, of two people thrown together by circumstance, whose patriotism and eagerness to help with the war effort leads to love, and heartbreak, and miscommunication, and love again. <sighs> c'est la guerre, c'est la vie, c'est l'amour. Our tale for tonight is called Tall, Dark, and 4F. It's based on a story by Vina Lawrence, which first appeared in the March 1943 issue of New Love magazine. What's 4F? Well, in World War II-era government lingo, if a man was 4F, it meant he was medically unfit for military service. Over the course of this first season of Pulpery Theater, it has been our mission to bring you the widest possible variety of stories for your listening pleasure. Up to now, we've run the pulp gamut from science fiction to sports. Our director and producer, Mr. Pete Lutz, tells me that two specific categories remain on the list, those being espionage and war. So our final two episodes will be devoted thereto, and then we'll probably start all over again. But our story for tonight is one of romance. And we'll begin after this brief word. You're listening to Pulpery Theater, starring the Narada Radio Company. What is this thing? Stoop Nagel, Stoop Nagel's your new coffee brand. It's grown in the mountains, but we won't say which land. So go out and buy some, you won't be displeased. We swear it won't cause some infectious disease. Hello, friends. This is Duke McBishto, one of the members of the Narada Radio Company. Did you know that Stupnagel's coffee now comes in flavors? That's right! Your old standby coffee, Stupnagel's, long famous for its pennies per pot value, plus the fact that it always seems to be available when all the other brands have flown off the shelves, now comes in four delicious flavors. Hazelnut, vanilla, mocha, and French onion. So, wait, did I read that right? Uh, well, yes, that's what it says here. And French onion! So good, so wholesome, so rich, and so, um, oniony. And it's available at the same price as our original coffee flavor. So remember that Stupnagel's coffee, handpicked in the mountains of Brooklyn by one Valdez's little brother, Julio. Try some today. 
Don't let rich coffee goodness go to your head. Just go out and buy some stoop bagels instead. Four pennies per pot, it's that coffee delight. You'll still be up tomorrow if you drink some tonight. Stoop bagels. Welcome back to Tall, Dark, and 4F, tonight's installment of Paul Paris Theatre, starring the Narada Radio Company. Let's go back to 1943 and meet our storyteller for tonight, Sally Blaine. Sally's 20 years old, pretty, pert, and curvy, with strawberry blonde hair, big brown eyes, and a few freckles on her cute little button nose. You'd never know it to look at her nowadays, however, because that figure is often hidden in a set of workmen's coveralls, and that pretty face is masked by a welder's helmet. Yep, Sally's a war worker in the newly converted munitions factory in Grantville, Vermont. As the story opens, Sally is just arriving at her station and notices someone new at the spot next to hers. The new worker had his back to me, already hot at it when I arrived at my bench that morning. He looked tall and lean in his blue coveralls, and even though I couldn't see his face under that huge welding helmet, I could tell he was having a wonderful time. Take that, Hitler. That'll burn off your little mustache, you old so-and-so. Ha-ha! <laughs> I smiled at his gusto and set to my work, but the noise of my own torch couldn't drown out the new man's enthusiasm. Take that, Hirohito. Ha! There's a new red spot for your rising sun. Take that and that! I giggled to myself as this running commentary went on for nearly an hour. Stealing glances at my other co-workers around the shop, I could tell that I was the only one who could hear his tirade against the axis. When he paused, however, I was right in the middle of a particularly tricky operation with a welding rod, so I didn't notice at first. But he got my attention again soon enough. It sure is great to be winning the war, isn't it, Shorty? Ow! Hey, keep your hands off me, you big stiff. What? Great guns, you're a girl. Could be. And you could have broken my back, you jerk. But I didn't take a good enough look at you, and I just thought you were a short little guy behind me. I'm sorry for slapping you on the back so hard. Now that I take another look at you, I can see that you have... I see that you can see. Take that, Axis Andy. Ow! Hey, don't play so rough. I need that shin. Isn't there enough conflict in the world without us starting a private war? For answer, I turned my back on the louse and went back to work with my blowtorch, sending sparks flying in all directions. I guess he went back to work as well, because things were otherwise quiet, but then, about an hour later... Say, what do you look like under that helmet? I mean... Do you have a face to match that, uh, never mind. Whoa, don't kick me again. <laughs> I just wondered if your face matched your figure, or if you were some kind of ghoul. I'm a ghoul, all right. I have bright red eyes and an eagle beak. Now let me alone so I can do my work. Huh. Well, I could always take you out with your helmet on, and introduce you as my woman from Mars. <laughs> I was so glad it was lunchtime, so I could get away from this louse. 
I whipped off my welding helmet at the same time the new man did his. And suddenly, both of us stared at each other. Great day in the morning. Jumpin' Jehoshaphat. It seemed that Mount Olympus had let one of their gods break loose and come down to Earth. He had brown curls and gray eyes and a lovely deep-water tan complexion. Tall and dark and lean with a deep cleft in his chin and a big grin showing beautiful white teeth. Hello. Hello. I'm Nick Thomas. Sally Blaine. I held out my hand to him and he shook it, saying, You're a darn gorgeous ghoul. (laughs) (laughs) I'm sorry I kicked you. We just stood there looking at each other some more. It's great to have a job, isn't it? I've been without work for nearly three months. I tried my darndest to enlist, even tried the Merchant Marine, but no go. I'm 4F and that's that. Busted my kneecap once in a sort of shipwreck and I've got a silver plate in my knee, so they won't take me. My knee's good as anything, though. I can hike ten miles easy, but try to convince them. (laughs) Nope, they say I'm 4F and so I'm 4F. So I finally gave up and got this job, and it's swell after all. Say, I bet I killed a thousand Nazis this morning. (laughs) Gee, I bet you think I talk too much. No, that's all right. Really, it is. And working here is winning the war, too, after all. I'm sorry about your knee. Were you a sailor when you were hurt? Not exactly. It was more like a job on a private boat, sort of. Say, I'm hungry enough to eat a horse. Where's the cafeteria around here, anyhow? (laughs) A cafeteria in a grant factory? Don't make me laugh. We bring our own lunch pails here. I picked up my big red lunchbox and thermos from under my bench and waved them at him. Then his face fell. Then I haven't any lunch. Don't worry, Nick. Mom always packs more than I can eat. Come on. No kidding? You've got enough? I nodded and led the way to the stockroom. We found a large packing case by a window and I spread my lunch out. Out that window was my little hometown of Grantville, Vermont, built around the ancient red-brick Grant sewing machine factory, which had been recently refitted to produce munitions for the war. The factory was full of new workers, Nick was one of them, and it wasn't his fault he didn't know all the ropes yet. I poured him some hot coffee from my thermos and handed him a corned beef sandwich. My actions were natural, comfortable, like Nick was someone I'd always known. What's the idea of no cafeteria? For the crowd working here, there ought to be one, don't you think? (laughs) After lunch, why don't you drive down to New York and tell the Grant Factory Board of Directors about it? Listen, mister. The Grant Sewing Machine Factory was founded a hundred years ago by old N.T. Grant, and they haven't changed a thing about it since then. The Grants moved away from Grantville, and they're rich New York society people today. So what, you say? So when they changed over to make munitions, they made only what changes they absolutely had to. They don't care if we eat out of a lunch pail. Well, now that's too darn bad. Why don't the workers complain? Why don't they protest or something? Oh, they do. They asked to have that south brick wall torn out and glass brick put in for light. They asked for a cafeteria, and the girls asked to have a proper powder room put in, and even the townspeople have been after them to put in a decent first aid station. But so what? The grants keep going to cocktail parties and the board of directors keeps postponing things and we keep 
bringing lunch pails. Have another sandwich? Mmm, thanks, yes. I don't know much about things here. I just got into town yesterday, and things are so crowded that I can't even find a room. I'm sharing a room with a cook at the town hotel. You don't know where I could get a room, do you? Now, I don't know what came over me, but right off the top of my head I said, We have a room at my house. Well, not yet. I mean, I'll have to move in with my sister, and my two kid brothers can take my room, and then the attic bedroom can be made up for you. It's got a private outside entrance and its own washroom. How do you like that, mister? That sounds swell. Of course, I'll have to talk to Mom first. We've never had a boarder before, but everybody has to help out nowadays. Meet me after shift and we'll walk together, okay? Okay, and thanks for lunch, ghoul. <laughs> <laughs> All afternoon, I felt a twinge of regret for committing a whole room of our house to a total stranger and without consulting my mother first. But of course, later that night, Mom was completely charmed by Nick. And after she showed him up to his new room, he was moved in, in no time. I'd promised to take him out that evening and show him Grantville's hot spots, both drugstores, one with a jukebox that you could dance to if it wasn't too crowded, and the movie house. Nick came downstairs looking so handsome in his gray tweeds, and I was glad to be seen with him walking along the two blocks of Main Street. It was late winter and the sky was clear with just a sliver of moon and all the stars blinking like jewels. We came to the end of Main where the sidewalk ended. I pointed up the hill to the pointed turrets of a mansion at the top. That's our local castle, the Grant Mansion been boarded up for ten years now, ever since the old man's death. None of the younger Grants have ever come back since the funeral. It's an awful waste, isn't it, all boarded up and vacant like that? I think it would make a swell community center with dances in the ballroom. You're darned right it would. And then we went to the picture show and first to one drugstore for an ice cream soda, and then the other one to dance to jukebox music. Other kids and couples were there too, and I introduced Nick to everyone. It was pretty crowded on the makeshift dance floor, and Nick and I were forced closer together while we danced, but I didn't really mind. It was then, unfortunately, that Eddie Phillips came in. I forgot to tell you about Eddie Phillips. He's been my steady date for a few years, through most of high school and after, and everybody, including Eddie, thinks it's just a matter of time until we're throwing shoes and rice. But I don't feel that way about him. I never did. And since he started drinking so heavily, I feel even less that way. I guess I should mention that his father is the foreman at the factory and calls me daughter, kind of half-jokingly. Eddie's 4F2, by the way. But unlike Nick, it's for a weak heart brought on by his drinking. It was plain enough that he'd been drinking tonight when he pushed through the dancers and tapped Nick roughly on the shoulder. Cutting in. Eddie, you've been drinking too much again. Come on, dance with me. You're my girl, Sally. You should dance with me. She doesn't want to dance with you, friend. Go over to the soda fountain and drink some black coffee. I heard all about you. New guy at the factory. News travels fast round this burg, new guy. I think it's pretty funny you moving so fast into Sally's house. 
I hope you don't mean anything by that, friend. I mean, just what you think I mean, pal. And Sally's gonna get herself talked about. Stand back, friend. I don't like hitting drunks. Oh, you don't? Well, you're not drunk. So I guess it's alright if I hit you. <gasps> Eddie, no! You're listening to Potpourri Theater and the Dorada Radio Company's presentation of Vina Lawrence's story, Tall, Dark, and 4F. We'll be back with Act 2 of our play in just a moment. Insomnia Theater. And now, Crunchy Crackers, with a buttery flavoring all over them, bring you, as a special feature of Pulpery Theater, the soundtrack to the 1977 western flop, Spaces Wide Open, starring Cross Cross Differson, Sir Weldon Metal, Jade Brazelet, and Edna St. Vincent University, directed by Joseph Campalacaslipa, and released by Repellent Pictures. Stranger, I'm looking for somebody. Stranger, welcome to the Dirty Dog Saloon. Howdy, barkeep. Can I ask you something? Why, sure, stranger. Shoot! Quick, Sheriff. It was over before I knew it. Yep, I reckon. You know what I think, Cowpoke? What's that, Sheriff? I think the word shoot, as response to the question, Q. 
Can I ask you something? We'll have to wait until a less violent time. Well, that's for sure, Sheriff. That's for dang sure. Yup, 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 yup. Down by the old front gate Where we kissed goodbye She says you're mine The girl I left behind Holy, holy You have been listening to the soundtrack of the Repellent Pictures Western film Spaces Wide Open from 1977. Brought to you by Crunchy Crackers with a buttery flavoring all over them. And now let's go back to our regularly scheduled program. return to Grantville, Vermont, where local girl Sally Blaine is getting to know her new co-worker, Nick Thomas. When we left them before the break, Sally and Nick were dancing to the drugstore jukebox when Eddie Phillips, the son of the factory foreman, and up to now Sally's steady date, crashes the party. A fool of me. Eddie, no! Eddie caught Nick on the chin with a surprise sock that sent him against a door that opened onto a porch. Nick recovered quickly and came back at Eddie, but didn't punch him. I think you need to cool off, friend. Come with me. Nick grabbed Eddie by the neck, pulled him outside, and dunked his head in the rain barrel. Everybody followed them out to see, and what a sight! walked home after that, and while Nick was cheerful about what had happened, I was quiet. You know, I wouldn't have done that if you liked him. I could tell he was jealous, but I could also tell that you didn't like him. No, I don't like him. But small towns are funny, Nick. They don't like outsiders coming in and taking their girls and sticking their heads down rain barrels. You're not his girl. I am not anymore. You may be sure of that. And then we both laughed. And he looked at me, and all my earlier worries about Eddie and his father at the factory disappeared in a heartbeat. I looked back at Nick and knew that if people talked about me now, he was worth it. A couple weeks later, I awoke one night from a sound sleep and saw the bright moonlight flooding my bedroom. I heard someone whistling and crept to look out the window and saw Nick's long-legged stride coming up the walk. Apparently, he'd gone out for a moonlight stroll. How wonderful. On the spur of the moment, I slipped into slacks and a polo coat and sneaked downstairs out of the house. It had been a busy few weeks since Nick had come into my life, and it was becoming difficult to look back to a time when I didn't know him. 
We ate lunch together every day and spent our evenings together, either out at the pictures or talking with other factory workers that Nick liked, like Jerry and Lane, two men who wanted to see the factory improved. The other workers just seemed to gravitate to Nick because he was such a good listener and seemed so sympathetic and interested. I liked that about him, and I liked that he was admired by so many. But most of all, it seemed that all my life had been coming to this, waiting for him to come into it. And now I was waiting for him to come up the walk toward me. The moonlight poured down, bright as day, and magic glistening on the dew. I had no idea of the time. I only knew that it was a wonderful night, and I had to be out in it with Nick. Hey, Night Owl, I saw you and came down. It must be after midnight. <laughs> well, hello, you. It's nearly five o'clock in the morning. I've been out looking at, at the countryside. You'd better get back to bed. And leave this beautiful moon? No, sir, I'm wide awake. And you have to take me walking in the moonlight now. Do you dare? Think of the scandal in such a serene community. I do dare. Let's go this way. I want to show you a place I used to go as a little girl. We climbed to the top of the hill back of the house and watched the sleeping town below bathed in a veil of moonlight. I shivered a little and Nick put his warm arms around me. And it was then that he kissed me for the very first time. Sally, that wasn't the way I meant to do it. I, I meant to say a lot of things, but let's go back now. We were silent as we walked back, and I clung to his arm and tried to make out his expression in the moonlight. It had been just a sweet, tender little kiss, hardly more than his lips brushing against mine. But it had lit a flame inside me, and I knew then it would never go out. been spotted. <laughs> what will happen to my reputation, Nick Thomas? You're giving me big city ways coming in at dawn. I'd laughed in that moment because there'd been nothing to feel guilty about. It had been a moonlight stroll and a kiss. That's all. But a sense of guilt lingered with me all that day at work, and at the end of the shift, John Phillips, the foreman, called me into his office. Sally, I'm disappointed in you. I thought you were the sort of girl who could work alongside men without losing your head or turning theirs. But I see I was wrong, and I think you'll have to leave the factory. I don't like to fire you, Sally, but after all, we're getting more experienced workers coming in, and, well, perhaps we can use you in the office later. But what in the world brought this about? I know Eddie is angry with me, but surely you aren't so petty that... I passed you in the car this morning, Sally. You were walking along the road at dawn with that new fellow. We don't want a girl who will do that sort of thing working in the factory. That is all, Sally. I turned and left too shocked to say any more. I was fired, just like that. I didn't know whether to laugh or cry. I knew that Mr. Phillips would tell his wife, who was a terrible gossip, and she would spread it and enlarge it and scandalize the town. At home that night, I passed it off casually. 
Too many experienced men are coming to town for jobs. They'll be transferring me to the office. But for a little while, I won't be going in. Well, I, for one, am glad for it. It'll be nice to have you at home for a change, Sally dear, especially in the kitchen. I certainly didn't anticipate Nick's appetite and the amount of extra cooking I'd have to do. <laughs> Mother's casual acceptance of my story made me feel better about what had happened. And suddenly I realized that I would be cooking for Nick, too. And so I did. And I found that I loved cooking for him and hearing him praise my skills in the kitchen. I was aware of the talk going around town about me, but I didn't care. When Nick and I were married, all that gossip would stop. Anyhow, Nick was all that mattered. On a mild evening in March, Nick and I sat on the front porch, holding hands and talking quietly. Sally, do you know what tomorrow is? It's my birthday! Are you going to bake me a birthday cake, Sally? Is it really? Well, not just a cake. Let's plan an entire birthday dinner for you. I'll call some of our friends at the factory and have them over, all right? And then we can... <laughs> Who on earth? Nikki Grant! Yoo-hoo, Nikki! It's friends of mine from New York. <laughs> Sally, I... I need to tell you... Nikki, you old meanie. We've come to take you back to town to celebrate your birthday. I've got the most marvelous party planned for you, with caviar and champagne and the best orchestra on Broadway. Do you think you can get away from the dirty old factory for a few days? After all, it's your factory, isn't it? <laughs> Sally, I'd like you to meet my friends. This is Bill, and that's Freddy. Over there is Candy, and that's Alice, and this, um, this... This is... My name is Diane. I'm somewhat more than a friend, aren't I, Nikki? Um, Sally, I'm sorry you had to find out about me this way. You see, the directors made me promise not to tell anyone my real name here. They didn't object to me taking a job here, but they were afraid that the press would say I was seeking phony publicity. And I didn't want any favors. I just wanted to work here and find out what it was all about for myself. Do you see? Then... then your name is... Nicholas Thomas Grant III. My uncle and the directors have charge of the plant now, but soon it will belong to me. I see. Well, uncle certainly isn't very happy with the reports you've been sending him, with all the changes and upgrades the people here want made. He's calling them radicals and wants to come down here and fire all the ringleaders. He's planning to come back with you, I think. Nick, you didn't report on Jerry and Lane and the others, did you? That was in confidence, and now they'll be fired. Oh, Nick, how could you? Well, would you look at her? She seems to be rather emotional over you, Nikki. Did you forget to tell her that you and I are engaged? Engaged? Oh, this is too much. Oh, and I showed you the Grant Mansion and told you all about the family. How you must have laughed at me. No, Sally, I didn't. I wanted like the devil to tell you the truth, but I'd made a promise and I couldn't break it. But I was planning to go back to New York soon and get out of that promise and then come back here to start making the improvements that everybody wants. Don't you see, Sally, that Nicholas I... Nicholas Grant, are you getting your things and coming with us or not? Don't tell me the charms of this place are keeping you here. Yes, he's going. He couldn't stay here now. He'd find it very unpleasant to stay here now.
shook my heart and threw it away. You're listening to Pulpery Theater and the Narada Radio Company's presentation of Vina Lawrence's story, Tall, Dark, and 4F. We'll be back with the conclusion of our play in just a moment. As a special feature of Pulpery Theatre, we have sent our intrepid reporter, Phil Boyd Studge, out to Washington, D.C., to interview the President of the United States. We'll let Phil Boyd tell you all about it. So, from Washington, D.C., take it away, Phil Boyd Studge! Phil Boyd Studge here, a little embarrassed and nonplussed, Speaking to you not from our nation's capital, Washington, D.C., but from the city of Washington, Illinois, where I'm about to interview the President of the United States. Good day and thank you for joining us on Pulpery Theater, Mr. President, and how are you today? Hello, Mr. Studge. I'm happy to be here. And just for the record, you don't have to call me Mr. President. Well, how should I address you, sir? I suppose you could call me either Mr. Turnblatt, or by my full name. Which is? To be clear, my full name, as given to me by my parents, is the President of the United States Turnblatt. Wow. And how did your parents come up with a name like that? Uh, Don't misunderstand. My folks were very loving, caring people, and they thought naming me something important like the President of the United States would help guide me to become that very thing. I guess they got the idea out of a child-rearing book. This is why I'm constantly warning people about the dangers of reading. But anyway, Mr. Turnblatt, did getting such a grandiose name actually get you started on the track to becoming the president? In all honesty, Mr. Studge, uh, no, not at all. In fact, my name has held me back from nearly every important milestone a young man might achieve. Such as? Well, um, for one thing, getting a complete education. I didn't go to college, for one, because the admission forms didn't leave enough space for me to fit in my full name in the blank. I can see where that would be a problem. And getting a girlfriend would have been a nice thing, too. How did having the name the President of the United States Turnblatt keep you from getting a girlfriend? Well, think about it. Do you think a girl wants to be branded at the very least a liar or the very worst cause a tabloid scandal by telling everyone that her boyfriend is the President of the United States? It's interesting that you can see things from the girl's point of view. Uh Uh-huh. Well, it's only because so many girls have already said all that to me. Things are pretty lonely for the president. So let's move on, Mr. Uh, Turnblatt. You say your name has held you back from getting a good education and having a love life, but how has it affected your career? Oh, well, I've found that there are certain perks to being the president of the United States Turnblatt that I didn't anticipate. For example, I am listed on the board of directors for the junior college here in Washington, Illinois, 
and I have also lent my name to the letterhead of several lucrative law practices. Say, that's rather surprising and wonderful for you, Mr. Turnblatt. How do you account for this, considering you didn't go to college? Tell you the truth, it was all my idea, and it was easy to sell. The college and the law firms can honestly say that the President of the United States is an employee of their particular firm, and they can get away with it legally by just using my first name, which is... Yes, the President of the United States, but you said an employee. If you didn't get a college education and you're not a lawyer, what, may I ask, do you do for these establishments? I like to tell people that I'm the guy they call in to clean up their big messes, you know. Uh-huh, that sounds pretty important, but I get the feeling that in reality you're... Yeah, the janitor. That's what I thought. But from what you tell me, you're probably the highest paid janitor in the country, so that's nothing to sneeze at. And it looks like it's time to wrap things up here in Washington, Illinois. So with the President of the United States, Turnblatt, this is Phil Boyd Studge sending it back to the studio. Oh, darn, I spilled my coffee. Would you mop that up, Mr. President? What is this thing called love? This funny thing. Welcome back to Pulpery Theater, starring the Narada Radio Company, and our presentation of Tall, Dark, and 4F by Vina Lawrence. Just before the break, poor Sally discovered a shocking secret about Nick Thomas that his real name is Nicholas Thomas Grant III of the infamous Grant family who owns the factory. And most disheartening of all, that he is engaged to another girl. I turned and ran upstairs so Nick and the others wouldn't see my tears. I heard him call out a goodbye and drive off, and in that moment I hoped he would never come back. Over the next couple of weeks I was on edge and quiet, tense and nervous, and when I bothered to look at myself in the mirror, my face was as white as a sheet. Letters came from Nick, and I returned them unopened. He felt like a stranger to me now. His was another life and another girl, and I wasn't about to pick up any crumbs he might throw my way. People were talking, saying that Nick had jilted me and run off, and I let them talk. Nothing mattered now, and it felt as though nothing would ever matter again. Then one day I was shopping for that night's dinner at the market on Main Street across from the factory. Sally? Sally Blaine? Sally! Well, Molly Jones, what are you all excited about? Sally, it's so good to see you. Look, they're putting in all the improvements in the factory. The glass wall, the powder room, and the cafeteria. Well, I'll be. Look at all the workmen. They have about 50 here, so it can all be done in a few days and not interfere with the war work. And Nick Grant is paying for everything out of his own pocket because he couldn't get any action out of the board of directors. Isn't it all so wonderful? Sure it's wonderful. Ain't it grand? I turned suddenly and saw... Nick. And my heart started racing at the sight of him, at the sound of his voice. How could he stand there smiling at me as if he hadn't ruined my life and left me picking up the pieces? Oh, I don't know. 
We wanted these improvements, but because we deserve them. Not because a, a, a playboy took pity on the poor, underprivileged workers. We don't like charity, Mr. Grant. I felt the tears stinging my eyes, so I turned at that and rushed away from him, but he followed me up Main Street and caught up with me at the corner drugstore. Sally, Sally, listen to me. You let me go, Nick Grant. Haven't you done enough to me? I've lost my job and my boyfriend and my reputation. My whole family is scandalized and embarrassed and will never live it down. Now don't start pawing me on Main Street. Go away. Leave me alone. Go back to New York and leave Grantville alone. Go back to Diane before your caviar gets cold. And he kissed me. He just pulled me to him, wrapped his arms around me and put his lips to mine. Right there in broad daylight, on Main Street, in front of the whole town. It never seemed to end, that kiss, and I forgot my anger and my sorrow and my reputation. And then he broke away and put his lips to my ear. That ought to give the town something to talk about, honey. And now, you are going to listen to me. I'm coming back here to live, and to continue working in the factory, and to reopen the old Grant Mansion. I'm going to fix it up, and live upstairs, and open up the downstairs so it can be used as a recreation center, with a dance hall in the old ballroom. Oh! Nick, you mean... Shush, you. I'm not finished yet. I'm going to expand the factory and bring in more workers and a lot more than that. And I need someone to help me, Sally. I need you. And I came back to ask you to... to marry me. Marry you? But... but what about Diane? Oh, we broke it off. Diane had her own ideas about what she wanted, and she thought that I'd eventually get over this craze with the factory. But once she saw I wasn't going to get over it... Things were over between us pretty quick. That was alright with me. We'd never really hit it off, and the whole thing had been kind of an arrangement between our families. But, but listen, I knew before she came here that I was going to have to break it off with her anyway, because I'd already fallen for you. I didn't know what it was like to love somebody, Sally, until I met you. Well, you'll have to marry me now, Nick Grant, because I think you've just shattered the last shred of my reputation. Hmm. Well, in that case, I guess one more kiss won't hurt. This funny thing called love. Just who can solve You have been listening to Tall, Dark, and 4F the 10th program of the Pulpery Theater Series, starring the Narada Radio Company. Featured in the cast were, in order of appearance, Catherine Crawford as Sally Blaine, Nick Womack as Nick Grant, Austin Hanna as Eddie Phillips, Lisa McGrew as Mrs. Blaine, Skeeter Ullman as John Phillips, Canella Pennington as Diane, and Nicole Sanchez as Molly Jones. Your announcer was Lisa Ayala. Tall, Dark, and 4F was originally published as a short story by Vina Lawrence and appeared in the March 1943 issue of New Love Magazine. It was adapted by Pete Lutz, who also directed and produced this program. Tune in again next time for another thrilling episode of Paul Paris Theatre. 
Additional vocal characterizations provided by Dana Gonzalez as Duke McVishnu, Micah Blaine, Lisa McGrew, and Andres Elizondo II as the Insomnia Theater cast, Skeeter Ullman as the President of the United States, and Phil Boyd Studge as himself. Tune in again next time when we'll present a spicy spy story, Blood Has Sticky Fingers. What is this thing? The preceding production was sourced from materials in the public domain, except where indicated. The audio play script and the production itself are original works and are the property of their creator, and thus protected by copyright. This production was pre-recorded and mixed at 63 Audio, Corpus Christi, Texas. Remember, Pulp Puri Theater is your source for the best in audio drama. This has been a 63 Audio production. Sixty-three audio. And now, Mutual of Ohm, providing spiritual insurance for your past, your present, and your future since 500 BC, proudly presents Wrinkley's Believe It or Forget About It, bringing you strange but true tales and oddities from all over this wide world. And here is your host, Mr. Robert Wrinkley. Hello, I'm Robert Wrinkley. Next, do you believe in ghosts? Most people don't, but they change their minds quickly if they spent a night in the Haunted Hotel. That's the famous nickname of the Waldorf Anstoriger Hotel located in the historic city of Sandusky, Ohio. Built in 1890 on the site of a street battle between local candy makers, union rabble rousers, and city police, the hotel has long been touted as haunted by the ghosts of the men killed there that fateful day. Guests who stay in room 305, for example, often complain about being awakened in the wee small hours by the sound of someone noisily chewing taffy. Across the hall in room 302, guests have reported that their sleep was disturbed by the incessant popping of bubble gum. And diners in the hotel restaurant have had entire tables upset by the unseen spirits of union agitators, climbing up to give long-winded speeches. The hotel is still open for business and does a booming trade during the month of October. Believe it or forget about it. You've been listening to a special feature of Pulp Puri Theater, Wrinkley's Believe It or Forget About It. Brought to you by Mutual of Ohm, providing spiritual insurance for your past, your present, and your future since 500 BC. This is Gramercy Noun speaking. We return you now to our regularly scheduled program.